Well, it looks like the attendance might be off just a little bit tonight. I guess the rest of you never got the message I was going to be up here, right? <laughs> I do appreciate the presence of all of you who have come to be with me. We do have visitors tonight. Some I especially made an effort to invite, and I'm glad, very happy to know that they're here tonight with us as well. It's been a while since I've tried to bring a lesson or to preach the sermon anyway here at Pippin. You may be accustomed to seeing me sometimes on Sunday morning teaching the Bible study when Brother Randy's out, but it's been a while since I tried to do the preaching, but I'm going to give it another shot here tonight. This morning when you picked up your bulletin, I hope you took the time to kind of take a look at the topics for the lessons for today. I'm sure if you saw the one for tonight, you're probably thinking, hold your fork. This has got to be good. I, I just I can't wait to... Okay, I'm getting a little carried away with myself. But hopefully, it did kind of pique your interest. You know, wonder where he's going to go with this. And so, uh, that's good. It is an unusual topic, though, I think. I doubt that you've ever maybe heard... Uh, a lesson on holding your fork. Now, there are things that you've probably heard lessons on holding. Hold your tongue, for instance. James 3 and verse 8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It's one of those lessons that we probably would do well to hear a couple of times every year. We all have trouble sometimes, you know, keeping control of our tongue, don't we? You may have also heard a lesson on hold your temper. Matthew 5 and 22 says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So we also need to be careful and hold our temper. I guess it would be hard to, to have a lesson on holding your tongue or holding your temper without including each other, both of them, you know. Even if you noticed in, in the scripture I used here, twice it talks about, it, it makes reference to the tongue and what the tongue can do to get you into trouble. And we can control our temper, even though we can be, sometimes we get angry, and, and there's a lot that uh, can make us angry from time to time, and rightly so. But Ephesians 4 and 26 says, be angry and sin not. So we can be angry, but we can still control our temper at the same time. You may have heard a lesson before on hold your ground. In Titus 1 and verse 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gangsayer. So in other words, you know, hold your uh, ground, stand your ground, be firm, be brave. Uh, today we're not persecuted like early Christians, but, you know, we can face a certain degree of persecution. Sometimes people want to mock us, make fun of us, laugh at us because of our belief and stuff. But we need to be strong and brave, and we're the ones going to win out. They are the losers. We need to just remember that. So we need to be prepared to hold our ground and stand firm on the cause of God. Hold your fork. I've been thinking about this lesson for a while, and actually the idea came to me uh, after I heard a story about a little elderly lady who 
realized her time on earth was probably drawing close to or near close. Her husband had passed away several years earlier. They had no children. She had no friends or relatives that she wanted to depend on or to burden to make her funeral arrangements when that time came. So she decided, I'll just take care of things myself. So she set up a meeting with the director of the funeral home that she wanted to handle her services and the preacher that she wanted to conduct those services. And in their conversation, they talked about things like, well, the casket that she would be buried in, the clothes, at least the colors that she would prefer, maybe the visitation period uh, for her funeral, and naturally the cost. With the preacher, she talked a little bit about her background, told him some of the things about, you know, when she was a young girl growing up, um, where she was born, where she was baptized and when, and information like that she thought he might, you know, find helpful in preaching her sermon, and the songs that she would like to have sung at her service. After they had completed this discussion, she was preparing to leave, and as she got near the door, she stopped and turned around and said, Oh, by the way, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. Well, you can kind of imagine the funeral home director and the preacher looked at each other with this curious look of, did she say, bury her with a fork in her hand? I mean, this is not a usual request. If she had said a flower, maybe a rose, a special color of rose, yeah, that's pretty typical. Perhaps a picture of she and her husband when they were much younger, when they got married, or some special event in their life. Or maybe an award that she had received or just some memento that had a special meaning to her. But no, she said a fork in her hand. And she realized the confusion that was on their face, and so she said, let me explain. She said, when I was a young girl, we often gathered at my grandmother's house on special occasions. Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, uh, uh, just about any excuse, you know, to get together. And most of these gatherings involved a big meal, a very delicious big meal. And sometimes my grandmother would make this one special dessert that she knew I really liked. So she would come around where I was sitting, lean over and whisper, hold your fork. And I knew no matter how great this meal was, the best was yet to come. Well, I hope you're starting to get the symbolism here. Because as a Christian, she also knew that no matter how great her life had been, the places she and her husband may have visited, awards, what nothing was going to compare to what was waiting her in heaven as a child of God. So the best was still to come for her. How do we know as Christians that the best is yet to come? Well, Matthew 5 and verse 12, Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So we have a reward waiting for us in heaven. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, as Lucas read for us tonight, that Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul said, I have a crown of righteousness awaiting me. And you know, he went on to say, not just me, but for all who 
love his appearing, who are waiting for Christ to come again and for the judgment day when he will call the faithful to be with him in heaven. Paul was ready to go on and be with Christ, but you know, he did have kind of some mixed emotions about it. In Philippians 1, 23 and 24, he says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul loved the brethren, the Philippian brethren, and he was concerned for them. And although he was ready to go on, his concern for them was, like I say, caused him a little bit of concern here. His love for the Philippian brother, though, also caused me to think of another verse. that, uh, And this is 1 John 1 and 15. For it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, that verse has caused me some concern at times. There's, I love my life. I, there is a lot about this life that I love. I love my wife. I love my home. I love the work I do. I love my brethren here at Pippin. And I love the Lord's church. So am I condemning myself because I love these things in view of what First John said there? Let's see what the Bible has to say on these subjects a little bit. I love my wife. She's a beautiful part of my life. My helper, my best friend. Colossians 3 and 9 says, Husbands, love your wife. Ephesians 5 and 25, I think, says it even better. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus loved the church to the point that he gave his life for it. And we should love our wives to the point that we also would be willing to give our life for them. I love my home. It's kind of modest by a lot of the houses that are being built today. But you know, it's, it's comfortable. I feel safe there. It's a place of rest. I couldn't find any scripture specifically that says you could love your home. It did, there's a lot that says love, love your eternal home, and it talks about the eternal home being a place of rest and comfort. And so I guess we, we deserve a place on earth to, the same. And Genesis 2 and verse 2 says, and on the seventh day God rested. So we deserve a place of rest and comfort. I love the work I do. You know, a lot of people may think, now that's crazy, loving the, the work he does. A few years ago, I retired from the state, and since then, I've been doing kind of handyman work, and a lot of it is uh, maintenance-type work around properties. I go into a lot of their rental units and make repairs and replace broken items or whatever, take the nails out of the wall and the screws and fill the holes with spackling and all the little dents and dings that have been made in it, and sometimes even patch some pretty sizable holes in the walls and stuff, and when I get done, I paint it. And when I get done, I can step back and take a look at those walls and think, you know, with a nice, clean coat of paint on these walls, they probably look much like they did when this house was brand new. And I get a certain satisfaction out of that, knowing that I could take something pretty smudged and dirty and bring it back to a very clean-looking appearance. 
Well, Thessalonians 4 and verse 11 says, And that you may study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And again, later on in 2 Thessalonians, we read in verse uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So the Bible set, teaches we are expected to work. Now, we may not all enjoy our work or love it, but we are expected to work. I love my brethren here at Pippin. We are family, aren't we? We care about one another, and when one of our members is sick or suffering, we hurt with them, don't we? And we're saddened when they're hurting. And you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. First John in, in chapter 3 and verse 11, For this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So we are brethren, and we should love one another. You know, I love my brethren, not just here at Pippin. I love my brethren, the other congregations around here. I love my brethren that I will never meet. I have never met and probably will never meet, and some of them speak a total different language. But we do share a common mindset, don't we? A common goal that we serve the Lord and one day make it to heaven. I love the Lord's church. And I can't think of a better example maybe of, of why we should love it that than the one I started out with, with the wife. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is his bride, his love, and our hope of salvation. And so we too should love the church. The things I talked about there are things that are in the world. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're worldly things, does it? We're all born into this world. We don't have a choice in that matter. And even though there are things in this world that we love deeply... We just have to remember we cannot let them distract us from our duty to God. And then if we don't, then there's no reason we can't go ahead and enjoy and love those things. Well, what is our reward then as Christians? What do we have to look forward to? Well, heaven, of course. One night during our gospel meeting this spring, Brother Stan Stevenson talked some about the beauty of heaven. And he made a specific point of saying he was not going to try to give a physical description of heaven and there's probably a good reason for that because I don't know that we really can it's difficult for us to fully comprehend heaven isn't it because heaven is a spiritual place 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 44 says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body the natural body we can see, we can feel it, can't we? We hit our elbow, we know that body exists. But what about the spiritual body? I can stand and look in the mirror all day and I can't see my spiritual body, can I? And if we can't understand the spiritual body that's in us, how can we really comprehend the spiritualness of heaven? I just, you know, I think that's why you really don't find a description of heaven in that sense. They have to use physical terms because we are in the physical body and that's what we can best comprehend.
Even John's description of heaven in Revelations 21 in verses 18 through 21, 18 through 21, he talks about heaven having the, the gates of pearl, the walls of jasper, streets of gold, the foundation of sapphires and emeralds and other precious stones and minerals, but that's not really what heaven's going to look like, is it? Because those are all physical things. But it was the closest he could come to giving us a picture of just how beautiful heaven's going to be. And these are all precious stones and stuff. They were precious to the people then. They're precious to us now. And he's only trying to make a point that heaven is so beautiful and so precious, it's unlike anything that you'll ever see here on earth. There are some ways, though, we can can describe heaven that we can uh, understand it. It's a place of no tears, no sorrow, no pain or death. Brother Jonathan led the song, No Tears in Heaven. I asked him this morning if he knew that one would mind leading it for me, and I appreciate that. And I'm sure that I'm confident that song was based on Revelation 21 and verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Heaven's also a place of rest. Hebrews 4 and verse 9 says, Then remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. Heaven's also where God is. In Matthew 6 and verse 9, Jesus said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. This has been what as some people might call my, a kind of a feel-good lesson. At least that's kind of what I was hoping, you know, to do, to make us feel good about being Christian and, and living that Christian life. And, it's, and we should feel good about it because we have rewards and blessings and the beauty of heaven to look forward to. But there is a dark side to it. For the unbelieving and unfaithful, it is a dark side to it. Revelation 21 and 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In our Sunday morning Bible study last week, we were talking and uh, discussing Matthew chapter 12. And in verse 30, it said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. If we are with Christ, then we have the hope of the blessings that heaven holds for us. But if we're not with him, then all we have is fear of the eternity. Now, I'm not, I hope you've enjoyed this lesson tonight. Don't hold your fork. I'm not suggesting that anyone walk around with a fork in their hand all the time. People are going to think you're a little strange, I guess, if you do. But we should be of that attitude that no matter what comes our way, there is still something better in the after while, something better to look forward to. If you're not a Christian here tonight, you can be one before you leave here. 
leave this building without making your life right with God. In our Bible study this morning, Brother Roger was talking about the prodigal son. And it says in Luke 15 and verse 17 there, he said, and he came to himself. Roger said, in other words, he came to his senses. Well, if you've been baptized and you've at some point been a faithful Christian, but you're not now, you need to come to your senses. And I don't say that to be in a harsh way. I say it in all love. Come to your senses and come back to the Lord before it's everlasting too late for you. Sometimes as Christians, we stumble, don't we? happens to the best of us but sometimes it's between you and God and if it is go to God and ask for his forgiveness and he'll do that there may not even be some here tonight that never confessed Jesus as the Savior and the Son of God and you could do that tonight and be baptized and leave this building a faithful dedicated child of our Lord that's going to complete my my lesson for tonight if you're subject to the Lord's call in any way We invite you to come now as together we stand and sing.